How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm fine now. Uh, last week I was a little bit out of the weather. So are you as understand? Yeah. 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 It's, it's uh, interesting that we synchronized our, uh, I was, I was thinking that it was a very good timing that. <laughs> so yeah, but we are fine today and, uh, uh we have, uh, a lot of things that kind of accumulated over the couple weeks and, uh, wow. I mean, it's never a boring moment in crypto. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it's, it's never, never a dull moment. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it's an interesting combination of, uh, things that happened because I think it kind of illustrates, I think most of the spectrum of shit that we have to deal with, you know, in crypto. Yeah. I think the funniest one is this bolt token. The, ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Because I mean, like every time I see something like this, I'm like, really again? Yeah. Like but, but how does it happen? You know, that people continue buying these weird tokens. And what's interesting is that it's on, uh, it was on uh, base, which is this uh, the new Coinbase or whatever blockchain that they have introduced. Uh, and if I understand correctly, they. I don't know if it's like centralized in a way that they should know who is deploying contracts or not, but somehow this person managed to scam it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. And, uh, like the, the way they did it was so weird as well. Yeah. It was, it was absolutely, you know, like why, like what, what the, I'm not sure. Like I didn't understand what this token was, was even kind of supposed to represent even remotely. I think if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was meant to represent, uh, Brian Armstrong's head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. You know what? Now that I think of it, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that's a good enough reason to buy it. Yeah. Uh, so then there was this, uh, uh, really horrible issue with, uh, Curve. Uh, yeah. I, I was on not well enough to really dive into that, but I did see a lot of chit chat about it. And, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially the, a lot of curves on, oh, no, there was like two, two topics kind of here, right? One was about like the, uh, issues with the contracts and one was with the curve founder getting liquid. Yeah. So it started with the, this bug, um, and, uh, uh, the bug was in the, in the compiler. So basically what happened is that the code that was supposed to be uh, protected from re-entrancy attacks after compilation, uh, it was not protected and uh, somebody took advantage yep. of that and it was a bug in the compiler. So uh, there was a um, very good tweet, uh, like the thread on Twitter uh, that explained exactly how it went down, when they noticed, how they analyzed it. And uh, it's it really, you know, it reads like a detective story because it was kind of very intense. And uh, then once uh, this happened, obviously several pools were exploited. And then, uh, th- as you know, the founder of Curve, he took a huge loan uh, with Curve tokens as collateral. Yeah. And when these tokens started to uh, go down in price, then, uh, yeah, I don't exactly know what eventually happened, whether he was regulated or not, but uh, yeah, it was the uh, obviously not good. Yeah. And, and like, had he have got liquidated, it would have like, uh, or at, at least, okay. yeah, it would have skated and like, it seemed as though it would have ended up in bad debt for Aave. Was it Aave or Compound or one of the main yeah. platforms? Aave, I think. Yeah. 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 So, uh, it, it's, it's really uh, a big problem when, uh, uh, you know, such things happen with big protocols. Uh, fortunately, it doesn't happen too often, but. Uh, one of the things that I think are important there that they couldn't, they couldn't like touch the pools themselves. They only could kind of work around it because the pools uh, themselves are immutable. And this is kind of one of the important trade-offs that when you deploy a contract, which is not upgradable or not easily upgradable or like fixable, uh, for one thing, it improves decentralization because nobody can, you know, kind of, uh, do anything bend with it. But on the other hand, if there is an actual bug and you need to fix it quickly, uh, then, you know, it becomes a yeah. problem. So you cannot even, uh, yeah. And this is, uh, for example, why like every time we, we deploy an application on Beam, it's like, I mean, yeah, we would have wanted to make it completely immutable as a contract, but we were actually scared to do it 
uh, even though each contract had a minimum update period uh, of at least one week right now. So it's kind of, you know, it's somewhere in the middle, right? So you will be like, we will be able to fix a bug in DEX, let's say, but uh, uh, we also cannot, uh, you know, change anything without anyone noticing or like having time to react to it. So it's kind of a trade-off uh, of sorts. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, it, it, it was bad. And and this is something that comes up often is, is this trade-off. I mean, we talked about a lot with regards to privacy and, and this kind of thing and kind of, it, it seems to be everywhere in the crypto space, like you have to make trade-offs, whether it's with privacy, whether it's with security or scalability and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, one of the issues uh, that make uh, crypto really kind of uh, look bad in, in the eyes of many people who like are thinking about participating in DeFi or like looking at it from the outside is that the overall quality, I would say, of most smart contracts is not that good. And uh, it's not very, uh, I would say, you know, reassuring for somebody who thinks, okay, now I'm going to trust, you know, a lot of my money into these smart contracts that are supposed to be, well, smart, decentralized, whatever. But in reality is that one small bug and all, all of that money is gone. Yeah. So I, I think that one of the very important takes from that is that even the biggest protocols can have these issues and you know we we all have to be very vigilant and continue testing and uh, you know the, the audits are not enough in my opinion like you can audit it you know, how many times you want but eventually you still have to invest a lot of money into testing automatic testing uh, you know all of these uh, you know standard uh, quality assuring procedures that we've been doing in software for many years so we need to continue doing that. Yeah. Uh, another funny aspect uh, that I, I really liked it, um, the, this MEV, uh, MEV bot that uh, uh, scammed the scammer, like they, they, they uh, front run the scammer. So they took some of the money that was stolen from the pool and then gave it back to her. Okay. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I saw this. I, I recognize, I, I vaguely saw this and recognized one of the names. I can't remember it now, but they done it before and, and it was like this it was like the hackers were getting front run by kind of generalized front running bots yeah 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 <laughs> and it's not the first time this has happened right no no it's not but it was the biggest one it was like 5.4 million or something like that US dollar right. yeah so it was a uh, uh, I think biggest MEV reward but also uh, like this this specific bot uh, chose to return this fund to, to the protocol which is nice uh, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that in general, I, I'm not sure about uh, the morality or legality of all of this MEV business uh, because, you know, yeah, I mean, if you steal from, from a scammer, probably it's fine, but I don't know. Uh, could have been somebody else. <laughs> they, they didn't really say, oh, it's a scammer. Let's run, run this specific no. transaction. They just said, oh, we see something profitable here. Let's do it. And then they said, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And it's, and it's like every, every other transaction is run running. I mean, I don't know if you say innocent or whatever, but front-running everyday people in the order books or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there was also this uh, issue or like concern for this, uh, you know, for operators of this bot. Like basically, what they're doing, they're stealing stolen funds, yeah. right? And these funds could have been frozen, as we know, uh, by USDC or whatever. Like, or maybe there are quite a few entities in the date that can freeze your fund even on chain. Yeah. And uh, they thought, uh, you know what, let's, let's give it back. So I, I, I don't know the, the line of thinking, but uh, uh, in any way, this is problematic from, you know, legal point of view. Because like, if you, if you see like a thief riding in the street with a pile of money and then like part of that money falls, like, and they pick it up, I don't think you can be too comfortable thinking that you do the right things here, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that was a, another kind of funny development there. Yeah. So, the, and that was just like, Basically one week or something is what trading. <laughs> yeah, a, a very busy week to to kind of see out uh, July. My God, did you just scan your eyes already? No, I I've been I've been curious about the individuals that are choosing to do so, especially the ones that at least appear to be lining up and waiting to to have their eyeballs scanned. Uh, yeah, I I really don't know how you know how truthful these photos uh, are. Like uh, like 
whether it's really happening or is it a PR stunt and they all actually get paid just to stand there. Yeah. But uh, one of the interesting things that happened is that uh, a few governments uh, said, wait a second, uh, you know, there is somebody running around our countries and uh, scanning people's eyes. So let's, let, you know, let's ask some questions here. Like, wait a second, what are you doing here? And don't get me wrong. I don't think that they're, you know, here to protect these people and say, no, you shouldn't do it. It's just basically saying like, uh, you probably need our permission or pass or something, or, you know, we want to scan the eyes first. I don't know. So it's one of those things. So I definitely not yeah. taking care of this. The, the one thing that I thought was very like uh, telling was the the speed at which it went from like, we're scanning eyeballs to we're, we're scanning eyeballs and giving like the information to governments that ask. It wasn't like, a, it wasn't so much of a like a gap in between the two. Yeah, so I, I actually read, uh, uh, so I, I was thinking about making a video about it uh, because I really want like for a long time now to restart my, you know, YouTuber career in a way and you know, stop making more videos because every time we have the space, I always feel like there are some things that I wanted to talk about, you know, but then tell the time. So I said, maybe I should before this video. So I, I wanted to do one about uh, world coin. So I started researching uh, this topic and. I went to their own kind of privacy policy because I wanted to see what they're saying about how they're keeping this data, you know, basically kind of doing fact-checking on this. And uh, it's very interesting because uh, on one hand, like there is this kind of, you know, zero knowledge part to it when they say, no, we're not necessarily storing this uh, data that we're collecting, we're just generating that ID and then you can use it in a zero knowledge proof to, you know, basically prove that you are a, a person. Yeah but not necessarily reveal your identity. And then like immediately it kind of starts uh, breaking because first of all, you can custody this information yourself, but they also offer you a service when they, you know, they, they can hold it for you <laughs> in a way. Uh, yeah. And then all of this zero knowledge proof thing is kind of mute. And also these operators, these people that are running around the world, you know, Barcelona, wherever with these orbs and scanning people's eyes, like, I, I don't know, they call them, the, uh, what's they call them? The, not the, oper the operators or something like that. And, uh, like they don't even say whether they're employees or of WorldCoin or site contractors, like what kind of, yeah. What, what are their obligations? Like, and, and then after all of these, uh, it's basically just, you know, there are so many ways, like so many parts in the system that can go wrong and just get your information leaked and uh, it's crazy so each step is very vulnerable for all kinds of things yeah i i know very little about Worldcoin apart from like the the sphere or whatever they call it that scans your eyeballs um but i but i couldn't help but like when i first heard of it think like oh the the, the guys with the orbs must get a cut of the the payment that the people scanning their eyeballs get people scanning the eyeballs must have to pay in world coin to get their eyeballs scanned to get more world coin and <laughs> i thought there, there must be some like a uh, ponzi scheme aspect to it all given that it's uh scanning eyeballs and, and crypto but i don't know i don't know no uh, one question that i really wanted to get an answer to and i, I don't uh, have the answer yet but you know it's always a, a big question what happens to all of the data collected by a company when this company, you know, goes bankrupt or disappears or zero for any sure. reason, because, uh, when you are a company and you register and you create all of these, uh, kind of GDPR compliant systems and all that, it's all good and fine. But, you know, once the company, uh, is, you know, dismantled or like what happens to all of this data? Because I know for a fact that in many cases, this data is just being sold to someone. Uh, who has been then using it for census or for calling you with uh, all kinds of stupid offers or whatever, right? Uh, but when it's basically, you know, your uh, biometric data that cannot be changed about you and like what happens to that data. So for example, uh, in Israel, they have this biometric ID and uh, this uh, uh, database is, is controlled by the government. So yeah, I mean, I don't like think that it's secure like 100% or whatever, but at least, uh, you know, it, it's controlled by the government. So the government is at least not supposed to sell it to, to anyone for profit or whatever. But in this case, it's a clearly private company, for-profit company collecting biometric data. So I'm not exactly sure how it works when, you know, tomorrow they will go bust and uh, 
like disappear. Like what will happen with all of these scanned eyes? Like where where all of this information will land eventually? Yeah. Do they do they sell it in the estate liquidation to the highest bidder? Or yeah, I mean one one good thing that happened after all of these stories, I just went and watched again the Minority Report. Ah. Okay, this is a good one. Because he has this uh, procedure where his eyes are replaced so he wouldn't be recognized by eyes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of the future. I mean, you know, it's, it's always crazy to me when the most kind of uh, absurd parts of movies become reality very quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, that's a crazy film and then like give it a, give it a couple of years and oh, whoa, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know I remember, like, when I watched it the first time, I was like, haha, like, very funny. Uh, you know, yes, he replaces his eyes, like, you know, it's utopian uh, science fiction, blah, blah. But no, it's not. It's like around the corner and then not, not in a good way. I was, I was reading, I, I thought of the minority report uh, earlier today because I was, I, I was scrolling Twitter or X, whatever it's called now. Uh, and I came across some random thing that was the NRO, the National, I don't know how to even say this word, Reconnaissance, Reconnaissance Office. Uh, and, okay. and it's like some USA State Department kind of thing. And, and like the, it has the most funding, which I found surprising because I've never heard. Mm. And so it wasn't that, uh, well, I was surprised that it was the most funded, more than the FBI and CIA and all the the three-letter agencies. But they were talking about, the thread, sorry, was talking about something like Minority Report, and I won't talk too much about it because I didn't read it carefully, and, and also it's not very relevant. Uh, but they had a project that they were trying to, it, they were like predicting where targets would be before they were there kind of thing so that they could focus in like satellites or whatever on those particular places in order to like gain information or whatever, rather than like, obviously with satellites, you can't scan everywhere, I guess. No idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they use this like, I guess, predictive method to, to try and see where the most likely positions were. Oh, interesting. I, I, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> but if, no, I mean, uh, I, I understand the point of uh, kind of trying to predict uh, and, you know, the crime. And then there was the question like, uh, will there ever be a crime if, if you know, if you didn't predict it, if you didn't stop it? Yeah, it's, it's funny. But uh, it's funny, but, you know, also a bit worrying, I would say. Uh, yeah, so I, I hope I, you know, I don't live to see this, but not another story altogether. Anyway, <laughs> on that uh, optimistic note, uh, so today we have several updates, uh, you know, about uh, being finally and uh, also we had a lot of very interesting questions uh, about uh, being as well so let's start with the updates first if it's okay with you and then uh, let's do the question let's do it okay so we will start with the hackathon which was uh, recently announced and uh, the idea behind this hackathon is to uh, combine two projects like beam obviously and uh, noster and if you're not familiar with noster you know we should be because it's a great protocol for decentralized messaging and uh, kind of, you know, exchange of information. So we can build a kind of a Twitter with it or a messenger and it's uh, completely decentralized. And there are a lot of interesting implementations out there, uh, a lot of interesting clients. There is a very active community of developers and people who are operating the relays, which are the server sites for the, for the NOSA protocol. And uh, when we kind of looked at it, we saw a lot of interesting opportunities uh, mainly because uh, there are currently integrations of Noster with uh, uh, liking, ch uh, liking channels. So you can send kind of people tips and, uh, you know, uh, using the lighting, the lighting okay. method. And then, yeah. So what we said is like, okay, so if you can integrate lighting, you can definitely integrate all kinds of different services on Beam, right? Yeah. So that, that was the, the idea. And, uh, uh, one of the, fo in the focuses of this, uh, hackathon is, uh, building decentralized applications. So we tried to make it 
uh, you know, less about the infrastructure parts and more about applicative parts. So it, I think it will be um, more uh, attractive to developers because, you know, basically web technologies that uh, a lot of people are using in, in their daily life uh, of, of development. Uh, so you don't need to implement, you know, all kinds of, you know, protocol levels or like the cryptography levels, primitives. It's all already exists in, in the Beam ecosystem, but you can use it. Uh, all of these things to create interesting applications. So that's that's the kind of the core idea behind this hackathon. And uh, as I said, we announced it uh, I think yesterday, and uh, we have uh, uh, a forum uh, on forum.bim.nw, a forum thread about the hackathon that you can use to kind of you know register and you know propose all kinds of ideas. We also have a Telegram group, um, and obviously we have you know the usual community channels and Twitter. So any way you want to reach out to, to us to participate, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's all good. And uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to promote this hackathon a lot. We're going to you know, try to uh, you know, spread the word about it, both in BIM and other confidential cryptocurrency communities and also in the Nostra communities. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. The hackathon itself is the last two weeks of August. Nuts. Yeah, so that's uh, and and a question from myself. I guess what what would be the coolest applications or things or whatever that come from the hackathon for you? What would that look like or entail? So, one of the things that uh, uh, I think that even Twitter or the X whatever is talking about it in this combination of uh, uh, messaging applications with financial applications, right? So, for example, uh, um, it's not about just kind of, you know, uh, tipping or sending, you know, funds. Uh, it's more about interactions. Even, even like, uh, uh, think about it as a DEX with a built-in social network. Right? Yeah. Um, so, for example, you can create communities of traders that, you know, not only talk about things, but also trade, like, within the same kind of interface. Yeah. Uh, or even even uh, kind of let's say think about nft gallery but not in a in a way of like you go to the open sea and then you have this gallery but in a more kind of lively chat right somebody posts a, an nft and then you can bid on it within the chat so all kinds of integrations between the more uh classical kind of DeFi style uh, financial applications and more like conversational uh, you know, uh, interface. So that's what I really want to see. And um, it, it's really, you know, uh, we have all the infrastructure for that already. And obviously, because everything is on Beam, so you have this privacy component kind of built in. So whenever you are doing, you know, a bid, you are not exposing your identity. If you are publishing something, you are not exposing your identity. So this kind of the, uh, I think, would be the more more interesting applications to, to develop. That's wicked. And, and like I... I totally agree that that would be cool to see and and like I I think Elon or however you say his name has has the X guy Tesla guy whatever Musk <laughs> he's he's said like quite often about about making X like the platform for everything like you can do your finances and this kind of stuff and and I I've at least after living in China I was always saying like amazing WeChat was or or Weixin and in that you can like you can pay for lunch you can send money to your friend you can pay your utility bills you can pay rent and everything right from within the same like a social application and and it's very like it's amazing and and having more finances and this kind of stuff even investing and and buying digital art are, are becoming more commonplace in like social commentary and, and our everyday lives so it makes sense for them to be integrated with uh the the social apps that we're using yeah absolutely and i you know um recently i was watching this video uh on youtube and the, uh, the author said that you know if you donated like I don't know, one dollar to this channel, you know, over I don't know, a year. Yeah. It would still be very significant in comparison with all of these like ads and you know, everything that you are kind of using to kind of monetize channels today. And 
I think that this is part of uh, the partnership. This is part of the changing of the financial model of how Web3 operates uh, in comparison to Web2. Because I think that when you are in live conversation or you're in the channel and you have immediate access to being able to send, you know, uh, some tokens or some assets to this person or to this channel to contribute, uh, to participate in the campaign, it creates a completely different um, user experience from the current, like you go to Patreon and then you edit your credit card. The immediacy of it creates a completely different uh, like kind of mm, way that you experience the community and the, the, the process around, around this. And eventually, I think it will be much more profitable, not in, you know, kind of profit kind of way, but it will be much more um, effective to support creators and, you know, people that you want to support yeah. compared to what we have to do. Absolutely. Now, if you add to this the fact that obviously there will be no ads and it will be decentralized and it will be private, I think that's kind of the dream. Absolutely. Yeah. And and there's been like, at least like kind of related and I think we've talked about this a bit before and, and I'm not super familiar with it, but like things like Patron, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and you can like pay to support content creators and this kind of thing. And, and I think that's really cool because there is a lot of value in a lot of the content that's coming out, whether it's like educational or entertainment or whatever. And, and this is a far nicer way, in my opinion, to, to do things than like watch an ad on something you don't really want, but hopefully you'll buy. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be uh, the most important kind of change, uh, you know, differentiating the way that Web3 does things from the Web2. Because, you know, obviously we, we're tired of ads and we're tired of uh, all of these. You know, it's not just the ads themselves, but this entire kind of um, the tracking, the targeting, you know, all of that. Uh, it's all the result of the fact that there is no other way to monetize your content today on on. Uh, uh, most Web2 platforms. And I think it's really not about people, you know, wanting to pay or not wanting to pay money. It's about this uh, friction that you have, you know, you have to go and get out your credit card and then you need to enter a lot of numbers. However, in the world of tokenomics, it's instant. And instead of buying all of these bold tokens, you would be probably much better off giving a fraction of that money to, to you know, people that you want to support and uh, eventually I think it, uh, it will all work much, much better. Definitely. And I, I, I think that NFTs, I mean, obviously NFTs have had a bit of a rough time recently, like price and attention wise, but I think NFTs will kind of go this way to where they're like used to help creators, like used as a, a thank you or whatever for, for this kind of mm -hmm. thing. And I think that will be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a whole new kind of uh, experience uh, of, of community and how communities operate. Uh, and today, I think uh, in Twitter, it's obviously true because you have uh, followers and you have people who uh, participate in, in many conversations with you. So there is always this kind of core of people that support or you know reply to whatever you're saying. Uh, obviously, in your case, it's exactly three people, but you know. <laughs> Some people that <laughs> some people have more. Yeah, yeah. I was the second. I was the second like on that. Oh, yeah. I do. I do really in, enjoy. I mean, I I I spend a lot of time on this app and mostly reading, but then occasionally I write a tweet and and I even even less frequently get likes and I I enjoy them very much. Like I, I yeah, and I mean that it's only a few as well. Like I don't. I don't want that thousand people liking my tweet all the time. Then it, there's no like, uh, <laughs> if you're getting lots of likes all the time, then it don't really mean anything. But if you're getting zero most of the time and then get three likes, very, very nice feeling. <laughs> I totally agree. No, for me, for me, it's like, because well, again, you know, we're all in relatively small niche community, yeah. you know, about beam. And when I see a like from somebody that I don't recognize on Twitter, I react out. Yeah. You know, you know, there's that. Like, oh, somebody <laughs> doesn't know personally, like, yeah. Uh, suddenly, like me, like, who is that exactly? How many followers? Yeah. It's important. Uh, anyway, that's <laughs> fun. That's funny. But um, yeah, so that's about the hackathon. Um, oh, before, before we go from the hackathon, yeah. we did have one question that was directly related to the hackathon. So I was thinking that I should ask it now. And this was Will Beam or, or like the Beam team 
host their own Nostra relay for the hackathon. Yes, I think we should. Yeah, I think that would be cool. We will. Wicked. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I say that a little bit like before I ever did it myself, but I, I, I mean, I hope I will manage. We can figure it out. I, I still have some time to, to figure it out. Um, uh, so yeah, um, and um, uh, there are several things that uh, uh, we have been talking for a while, and they are happening next week. I mean, for real this time. Uh, one of the one of them is the upgrade of. Um, or the accumulator uh, where we screwed up and we allocated the entire six million of the yep. to the big max pool, and we need to move part of it two million to uh, Bini Fleet pool. Cool. So this, that's happening next week. We Vladi implemented the upgrade. He was by the way here earlier, but he had to split and uh, here I mean in 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 the space with us. Uh, and uh, we need to test it, and we will roll out uh, next week. The second thing that we will roll out next week is the reverse bridges. For moving beam to uh so, yeah so these are done complete and we just need to uh roll them out um there are several important fixes that we need to uh, make in the wallet in the best of wallet uh, one of them is uh, related to creating new sbbs addresses okay yeah i and that was yeah. another question i think sure. as well on the the question list yeah so that's it, it's it, like it's an issue that we introduced when we uh, tried to fix the signatures and the signature generation, and then uh, you know just always create the same uh, as BBS address. So we need to fix that. And uh, of course, we have um, uh, we're having a few additional fixes. The most kind of uh, I think discussed topic uh, this week in BIM community was about mining. Ah, yep. Yeah, so I, I want to address that because there were a lot of uh, different discussions and ideas, and I would like to kind of uh, try to uh, you know organize that. So first of all, uh, I know that there are some people that are trying trying to set up solo mining, and uh, they had uh, a, a lot of issues, and also some of them uh, don't see like the, the mining rewards after they mine the block. So all of these things, we, we need to just investigate on the support level, first of all, just to understand what's going on. And uh, if you don't get, like, it, it's a general kind of uh, request that I repeat a lot, but it's very important to me. If you don't get enough answers or you're saying, like, you know, you, you need more attention, please do not hesitate to ping me personally uh, because... You know, it's summer, a lot of people are on vacations, people are busy, people are doing all kinds of things, but these uh, like issues are very important to handle. So please, you know, contact me, contact everyone, you know, continue nagging until your issue is solved. It, it's an important uh, thing. The second point is about the solo mining. Um, back in the day, like it was not feasible to mine without a pool. Today, I'm not sure, like depends on how many GPUs you have, depends on your setup. We did have a pretty good tutorial how to set up mining. There was an issue with the uh, mining key ID that was fixed in the latest version. So first of all, make sure you're on the latest version of the all the binaries that you have. And uh, if you want to have like solo miner as, I don't know, like one GPU or like one machine, uh, like I just want to know how many people like that are out there. Because I remember that we had in built in, like when, back in like when we started in 2019, we had the built-in miner in the wallet, in the desktop wallet. We removed it because no one used it because it was not feasible to mine without a pool. But maybe today there are enough solo miners with enough power, free from Ethereum or whatever, that we want to solo mine. So we need to understand exactly the scope of uh, this issue, how many people like need it. And then we, uh, we will address it, right? Obviously, we will provide better tutorials, maybe. We will provide some additional software if it's needed. Um, and uh, it's an important issue for us. We just need to understand exactly, you know, the the scope of this issue now. How many people really want it? Wicked makes sense. Well, for me, it makes very little sense because I'm I'm a mining noob. But <laughs> absolutely, like, and and it's cool to see more people uh, interested in in solo mining because I think that they're they're the real stalwarts of proof of work chains. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm completely ignorant about mining. Like, I'm not a miner, and uh, for me, like when I say solo solo mining, I mean like using this graphics card that I have in my PC for you know some games that I played once. But probably today, people with solo mining are sitting in this like room, like you see in the picture yeah. on Twitter, you know, full of GPUs everywhere, sure. and they call themselves a solo miner because they're not connected to the pool. But I mean, it, it's a uh, 
<laughs> it's a it's a farm of little houses. Yeah, right? I have a I have a basement heating the the neighborhood solar mining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't even know because because I I was I was kind of thinking about it and I was like solo miners like who wants to be and then I'm like yeah probably Rascal also calls himself solo miner yeah. right you the... I I don't even know if my computer has a GPU and and if it does I don't know what it does. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so that's it's important for us to handle it, and yeah, we will continue discussing it. In this context, there were several additional discussions and ideas. Um, one of them is kind of changing, you know, the mining uh, algorithm to benefit smaller miners or something like that. Um, and um, it's also related to this question that we have in our list uh, at number five, which is um, uh, about the ghost duck. Somebody asked about like. Two years ago, we talked about Goldback. Okay, so I just want to give this kind of you know answer to all of that together. One of the problems that, or not problems, but one of the things that we are um, very kind of strict about is the uh, beam emission schedule, right? So obviously there will be no change unless there is a very good reason for it to change the emission schedule, and the emission schedule is closely related to the amount of blocks and the block rewards and everything in between. Yeah. So that's the, the first thing. I don't think it's very like it's, it's feasible to create an algorithm that profits like benefits smaller miners or giving them more chance or whatever. Because in terms of the blockchain, the blockchain doesn't know uh, who is mining what. They just like the blockchain receives a new block with the solved, um, you know, the solved puzzle for, from the miner. Yeah, and then it, yeah, it knows the difficulty, so it can adjust. Uh, the difficulty of the mining algorithm based on the uh, tempo like with which the blocks are created, the rate is which the blocks are created, but it doesn't know how many miners sold. So it could have been, you know, one, you know, GPU doing it by accident or a billion GPUs doing it like very quickly. From the blockchain perspective, it's exactly the same. However, there are uh, different mining algorithms and DAG-based algorithms are like, one of those where you do have a kind of more blocks created, and then you have several branches of the blockchain kind of existing at the same time. Something that's not possible in classical uh, uh, Satoshi consensus. And uh, then it, they, all of them they collapse into a single, they kind of collapse into a single uh, blockchain eventually. But at the same time, you have kind of several branches to choose from. And one of the effects of this approach is that you have kind of more blocks created by more miners. They are smaller. Right, obviously, in terms of rewards and everything, uh, but you have more distribution, right? Instead of having like each block created by this one pool, you have kind of more blocks created at the same time, and it has this effect of decentralizing this little bit. And uh, is the approach that you is used by Caspa, which implements the Ghost Act alg algorithm that we've been researching back in the day. Yep. Um, so yeah, like just like we said in 2020, uh, it's it's an interesting concept. It can be done that we can change it. It has a lot of consequences, like obviously it's not a simple change and needs to be carefully understood uh, in, in two um, aspects. The first one is uh, the aspect of the emission. So we don't change the emission schedule that we have today. Yeah. And uh, the second one is that uh, we're using flight client and flight clients, um, mm. yeah, it, it, it actually relied on uh, um, on how the blocks are like validated, the difficulty of the blocks is validated in bulk. And uh, we need to be careful not to break that in the process because this is what allows us to have the mobile wallets with uh, fast connect and fast sync options. Yeah, this is this is one of the, or at least what I remember, one of the like, uh, not blockers, but kind of blocker for yeah. Ghost Egg with regards to Beam is, is the fly client and the two don't really kind of mix well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not saying it's not like solvable at yeah. all, uh, but it, it's, yeah, it's something that uh, makes it a little bit more difficult. Now, uh, with that kind of context, uh, there was a question about like, uh, what about like uh, high frequency transactions or like uh, L2s, like, it, like what's the relation between these uh, three mechanisms? Like, so for example, Ghost Deck does not necessarily improve, it can, but that does not have to improve the uh, transactions per second of the blockchain. Yeah, okay. Because eventually it depends on how many transactions you pack into all of these blocks uh, after all, right? So the, the eventual kind of result. Yeah. But uh, the goal, like as I said, it improves decentralization of mining. Um, 
the high frequency transactions that Vladi implemented back in the day, it was not instead of ghost duck, it was a completely different approach. And it doesn't prove um, kind of the responsiveness of the blockchain because in Beam you have one block per minute, but you don't want to wait for an entire minute on average until you get the result from your different application when you're trading. So high frequency transactions address that aspect. So when you are doing the trades using DeFi applications, you can see the uh, transactions that have not been mined yet accumulated in the uh, in the mempool, and the application can analyze those transactions and tell you what will be the state of the application after all of these transactions. Yeah. And then once this entire kind of sequence of transactions is mined, then the state is actually updated to what you saw, but you can react to new transactions appearing in the mempool much faster than, you know, just waiting for them to be mined. Yeah. So that's the purpose of the high frequency transaction. They do not, for example, improve uh, scalability or, or of regular value transfer transactions. Those are exactly the same. It's just relevant to, to DeFi applications. Okay, cool. Now, the third approach, the L2, which is, you know, what is very popular today in you know, Arbitrum or Optimism, or all of these kind of roll-off of, of all kind. This is a completely different approach because, first of all, most of them are centralized because they run sequencers, and these sequencers uh, you know, are, are not uh, part of a network. They just collect a lot of transactions, and then they combine them together, either using optimistic roll-up mechanism or a zero-knowledge proof, but it has this centralization point. And also... Uh, they like they you have to go through there right you have to use a specific kind of uh, mempool for these projects in order for them to be able to do all of this magic of you know gathering transactions together so it is possible to create l2 on beam just like it is possible to create it on any blockchain not in serial for example mm. but it's not instead of high frequency transactions and you know it, it, it's like a new dimension that you can open at any time yeah, um, and I have a question, I guess, uh, and and would like, although L2s and high-frequency transactions, they're not kind of addressing the same uh, issue to solve, would GhostDag and, and L2s be more comparable, or it's still like if you have a GhostDag base chain or base layer chain, then you can also scale it more with layer twos. So I'm not sure exactly about the parameters of Ghost Deck, like what it allows to do, but um, even if it is a little bit more kind of uh, uh, transaction per second than, you know, than standard Tecomoto consensus, it's not a significant increase. It's not that, you know, under that. Yeah, okay. Because after all, uh, there is a well, like well-defined trade-off between your level of decentralization and your speed of how quickly you can do things, right? So the more decentralized you are, the slower you have to be in terms of transaction per second. You know, yeah, makes sense. And and back to that whole like trade-offs here and there and everywhere. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So uh another good question that by the way is very uh is asked very often. Uh and uh, mostly it's asked uh, in not in you know uh, our community, but you know, when I get to some to, to meet some new people, uh either in the AMA context or an interview context or wherever, um, how would we know if there is an inflation, yeah, this is a bit, if the amount are in. This is a good question and like a very scary thought as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it's it's a great question and it's not only scary, it's the scary. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, <laughs> uh, and indeed, the answer is like, if there is a bug in the code that is on the level of, you know, creating the UTXOs, right? And uh it's exploited, yes, it would lead to inflation and it would not be easy to see immediately, obviously. Mm. And the only alternative is that to really do... So, by the way, one of the things that Dcash um, uh, did back in the day when they had discovered that they have a, a bug, they did all of these kind of uh, restructuring transactions through, through open transactions. So basically, they, they forced people to unshield all of the shielded pixels, yes. make sure there was no inflation, and then... You can shoot okay. them back. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, in Beam, that's not possible because we do not have unshielded exhausts. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's it's an issue. It's definitely an issue. It's an issue with any privacy point. So the only way to address that is to do a lot of testing, open the source code, allow everyone to look at it, including people, you know. When I say everyone, I'm not just saying like every user of Beam needs to go to the GitHub and, you know, 
read the implementation of the cryptography primitives, but there are people who know what they're doing, like people who work in this area, people who are security researchers. And uh, once again, obviously we did it uh, with external auditing companies that we asked them to review that. But I also think there should be more independent organizations paid by, I don't know, everyone, right? Yeah. So Omnicerium set up this fund for, for like, instead of paying to Arkham or whatever, set up a fund for security researchers to go over all the protocols. And I think the same should be done for all the privacy coins, you know, individually, together, whatever. And yes, like it's very important to review this code and you wouldn't know. However, uh, that's the price of privacy, right? You like you, you, if you want to be private, if you want things encrypted, you need to be able to use, first of all, the most proven cryptographic tools and libraries. Do not invent anything, you know, new. That's not the matter. And then, you know, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> and then you have to uh, have as many professional eyes as possible on that code and let it run and test it and do all of these things and hope that after all of this effort, it works. And by the way, like, it's not unique to privacy. No, I mean, exactly the thing. Like with what happened with Curves last week, I mean, it's been around for a long time and now has some issues. So, I mean, and I'm sure yeah. had men, I, I have no idea, but I would assume, which is not very often a, a good thing to do on crypto, but I'm sure it had some uh, audits and this kind of stuff and definitely had some, like many eyes on the code and this kind of thing. And, and it was only later discovered that there was this kind of bug. Totally, but I would go over circle to say that it's not only you know problem in blockchain and crypto, but if you are using any service today, if you are talking about, uh, you know, session or encrypted messengers, yeah, anything that includes cryptography and encrypted, you know, things, yes, obviously it's not as kind of financially bad as you know, uh, uh, runaway mission in the privacy coin, but it's still quite important, not easily noticeable, and affects your life. So I think, first of all, we should demand that all of these projects are open source. Yeah. And then, uh... yeah. And I mean, it, it comes like, uh, I mean, app, I'm, I'm typing on my computer, which is an Apple and, and I guess Apple is worth a lot of money. Maybe I have no idea a trillion trillions of dollars, <laughs> uh, but like even in 2023, like the current year, and it's only halfway through. They've had 10 zero-day vulnerabilities in the software that they've released. So, I mean, it's not it's not a crypto thing. It's in every, like, software and, and, and also hardware, I'm sure. Like, for way, yeah, there's no such thing as perfection, but we, we can continue to strive for it. Yeah, totally. And, like, many times that I'm asked these questions, it's in the context of, like, I don't trust what you are doing there, you know. It's like, oh, you can have uh, an internet emission and you will not know because it's all encrypted. Uh, I don't trust it. Like, it's fine. I, I mean, you, I, I respect your position. However, I think it would be better for us as, you know, as, as a group, as a society to have like privacy, which was carefully designed, verified, tested, and then provided to us, then just say, Oh, there could be a bug in privacy. So no problem. I will just give up my privacy altogether in all aspects. Nothing will be encrypted. It's fine. Yeah. So between these two extremes, I, I think I would be. Yeah, for sure. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So there are a couple of questions about the Beam Messenger. Yeah. Um, so Beam Messenger, I think, is going to somehow, and this is kind of my feeling, uh, no promises, but I feel it's going to move to Noster after the hackathon. Okay, cool. <laughs> because uh, well, I, I, I'm almost positive that at least some of the participants will implement, you know, messaging with privacy based on, you know, Noster uh, protocol inside Beam. And this, I'm seeing going, going to be a replacement for uh, the current version of the messenger, which is very limited. Yeah. And all of these features that are mentioned in these questions, the group support, uh, the... Uh, kind of integration with BAMS uh, application. I think all of these are very good potential uh, topics for, for the hackathon. That's exactly like what one of the things that we would like to see implemented. Work it. 
and and totally agree. Yeah. And I and I like when when we first started talking about Noster and and this kind of thing, it was was not that like far after the the first kind of MVP of being messenger had been uh, had been kind of put forth community. Yeah, I I couldn't help but think like this is a great idea. Maybe it's better to to integrate with something else that's like specialized and and focused purely on the social aspect rather than trying to build it out ourselves and like the the questions were like adding dm buttons for bands and group support for Mm -hmm. b messenger and and i and i can't help but think like the way forward for beam anyway will be to kind of leverage all of the other like great open source decentralized technology that is that is out there and and focusing on these uh other niches beyond what we're we're focusing on oh absolutely uh, uh also like architecturally speaking it's much more um correct approach to make it as an application which is integratable with other applications with smart contract and all of these services uh, instead of how we build the current messenger, which is basically like a le- one level above SBBS and is integrated uh, like in in the wallets and you know difficult to change, difficult to update, difficult to modify. So yeah, I think by all by all properties and you know standards, uh, whatever we're building with Nostr will be much more uh, in the right direction than than the current implementation. Yeah, for sure. But, okay, that was fun. Uh, we did answer all the questions, which is great. We did provide a lot of updates, which is amazing. And um, uh, yeah, so next week, uh, obviously, same time, same place. I hope uh, that everyone will be healthy and, yeah. uh, and well. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, uh, we will follow on on the updates and uh, uh, obviously release uh, information about kind of the, the things that are happening next week. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, and that's about it. Wicked, Alex. It's been a pleasure, and, and I'm glad that we are back this week, uh, and looking forward to next week already. We will. Uh, by the way, one topic that I think we, like, I, I wanted to to talk about, but as usual, uh, not enough time, uh, was the topic of GDPR. Okay. Yeah. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, reach out to some real expert in this in this area, that somebody who really understands the law and uh, talk to them about uh, the relation between GDPR and blockchain in general and asking some questions like what happens when, you know, when the company goes away and the data is uh, in the wind uh, and stuff like that. I tried to do it. I, I tried to reach out to, uh, to, to some people on LinkedIn. Uh, I didn't get answered yet, but I will continue doing so. In any way, if you know uh, someone you could recommend as an expert in this field, of, it doesn't have to be necessarily GDPR. It can be any, you know, law because GDPR is in Europe, but it can be any kind of uh, regulation uh, that talks about data security and privacy and all of these topics. Uh, I would love to talk to them, to invite them to our space, uh, or maybe do a separate space or interview with them, uh, because it's really, um, you know, there are a lot of valid questions about what does it mean when you put personal information on blockchain. How does it relate to current regulation? For example, right to be forgotten, like delete my path, all of these things obviously don't work exactly the same with blockchain. So yeah, if you know this somebody like that, please please let us know. Absolutely. Okay, man. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thanks everyone for being here. And uh we'll see you. Thank you. Thank you all and, and see you soon. Bye bye. Take care. You too.